0: well let's let's pray again lord we're so thankful that you have your hands on us on our lives we're thankful that you guide us and lead us and we put everything in your in your hands father we trust you that you will speak to us through your word today we give you thanks for your word Make it fresh to us today, Father, in your holy name, amen. Well, we're continuing in Exodus. Uh, We'll be in Exodus 28, uh, starting in uh, verse 15. But I want to start off by asking you, how many of you had to make a decision this week? Any decision? Well, then I'll rephrase it and say, how many of you had to make a decision and then you wondered if it was the right decision. <laughs> I all my decisions and I always <laughs> You know, it seems like every, every day we're, we're confronted not with simple decisions like what clothes to put on, but with real burdens of decisions that affect our lives and can affect the lives of others. Lives. What should I cook tonight? <laughs> what should I cook tonight? Well, the, you know, affect us the lives of our children. You know, and and since we since we love the Lord, I mean, we should be concerned that all that we do, even down to the eating and drinking, is to be done to His glory, to the glory of God. So, knowing God's will is an important aspect for the Christian believer. Yeah, you know, but have you ever wanted to know exactly what God wanted you to do? All the time. All the time. You know, really, decision making—it's difficult. All I heard was a laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I know—I mean, I personally wish sometimes that that God would just come out right then and tell me exactly what to do. Roger, turn left. Turn right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes Yes, exactly you know people may ask the question you know what am i going to do after i graduate is god calling me to be a missionary is it time to relocate to the mountains Uh, you know we pray this what medical treatment to choose life is full of decisions and tough ones and man, it would be nice to know exactly, exactly what God has in mind. And, you know, I remember when I was growing up, uh, my friends and I would try to figure out the future. We had this device called a magic eight ball. I don't know if any of y'all had this magic eight ball, you know, this large, large black orb. You know, hollow on the inside, filled with some mysterious dark blue liquid. And it had a 20-sided die inside of it. So you could get like 20 variations of an answer. And that's the flat window on the side, y'all probably still remember that. And you would ask it to give you the answers to life's questions. Like, does she like me? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you shake and is as if by magic, the answer floated up to that window. You know, and 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 you're looking there, going, oh, oh, what is it? And is it yes? Is it no? It's maybe. I think there were more maybe answers than. Uh, you know, one that said uh, when I asked that question so "How to not <laughs> <laughs> we got a special version. There. Yeah. <laughs> It's your lucky day. All right. Not now or ask again. I think there were a lot of the <laughs> ask again, too. But, uh, you know, I'll I, I joke at that. But, you know, I, there are times when I think we wish that God would give us something like a magic eight ball to uh, am I supposed to do this or do that? Tell me, Lord, is it yes or is it is it no? But, you know, I think on the other hand, I realize that. In his infinite wisdom, he has not provided some kind of a guidance system to shake and then wait for a divine answer to appear. But we're going to look at today how God did give away in the Old Testament. He gave away for the people to know his decisions. The Israel's high priest carried the tools for knowing God's will. And we'll look at that. And by studying this, I think we can come to a better understanding of maybe how God guides us today as well. So let me, if you remember the last time I spoke, we were talking about the high priest. And we were focused on his garments and the significance of those garments. You know, the high priest served the Lord in the tabernacle. And it was his responsibility to to make the atoning sacrifices, his responsibility to offer prayers on behalf of God's people. And as he carried out these duties, he wore these sacred garments. And these garments were designed to make him presentable to God. They were holy, they were glorious, they were beautiful, just like God. And these garments showed what it took for sinners to come into the presence of a holy God you know the people themselves they were not allowed to go into the most holy place and they were not allowed to meet with God they were separated from God's holiness by sin but they had a mediator to meet with God for them the high priest dressed in his righteous robes and the most important garment that the priest had was something called the ephod and that was the long sleeveless vest that hung over the priest's shoulders and attached to the front of the ephod was a breast piece and this is how God told Moses to make it he said you were to make an embroidered breast piece for making decisions Make it with the same workmanship as the ephod. Make it of gold, of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and of finely spun linen. It must be square and folded double, roughly nine inches long, nine inches wide. Place a setting of gemstones on it, four rows of stones. Uh, the first row should be a row of carnelian, uh, topaz, emerald. The second row, turquoise, sapphire, diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, amethyst. The the fourth row, beryl, onyx, jasper. And it it should be adorned with gold filigree in their settings. These twelve stones are to correspond to the names of Israel's sons. Each stone must be engraved like a seal with one of the names of the twelve tribes. So this breast piece, I know sometimes it's called a breastplate, but that actually makes it sound more like a piece of armor. And it's not. It it was like, just imagine, just nine inches square is all that it was, made of cloth. Uh, And the most striking feature, of course, were the stones, the jewels that were on it, arranged in four rows with all these precious or semi-precious stones and then now i'll admit that the translation of some of the hebrew words for these stones is not quite certain this is the closest that that people can understand but uh what you need to think of think of is that these gemstones they would have been found in the garden of eden we'll see them again in heaven when when they decorate the foundations of god's city and so this is a hint of what god was doing with israel even as at the In the tabernacle, it's part of his plan for the world. The plan that stretches from creation all the way to glory. And these gemstones represented the people of God. You know, as I said, twelve, one for each tribe. And the stones had the tribe's name engraved on them. And see, this is a vivid reminder of what God had said to his people Uh, when they first arrived at Mount Sinai. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's promise there was on display in that breast piece. And as the high priest, you see, went about his sacred duty. He represented this holy nation to God. He represented this kingdom of priests. And, and by their inscriptions, the ruby, the topaz, these emeralds, they signified that these 12 tribes, the people of Israel, were God's treasure. The, the gemstones declared out. That Israel was precious to God. And we also have to understand that this breast piece. Was securely fastened to the ephod. You were to make braided chains of pure gold. A uh, pure gold cord work for the breast piece. Fashion two gold rings for the breast piece. And attach them to its two corners. Then attach the two gold, gold cords. And the two gold rings at the corners of the breast piece. Attach the other ends of the two cords to the to the filigree settings. And in this way attach them to the ephod's shoulder pieces in the front. Make two other gold rings and put them at the two other corners of the breast piece on the edge, so that it is next to the inner border of the ephod. Make two gold rings and attach them to the bottom. Of the ephod's two shoulder pieces on its front, close to its seam, and above the ephod's woven waistband. The craftsmen are to tie the, wa- the breast piece from its rings to the rings of the ephod with a cord of blue yarn, so that the breast piece is above the ephod's waistband and does not come loose from the ephod. Now, that sounds all, why so much detail? Now, these instructions on the one hand were given for the practical purpose of keeping the breast piece. Where it belonged. It's it's kind of. If you read through it. There were four rings. On the breast piece. On the corners. One for each corner. The two rings. Attached the breast piece. To the shoulder. Of the ephod. With gold chains. And the bottom rings. Attached the breast piece. To the, to the ephod. And the high priest belt. With blue cords. And so. These rings, the cords, and the chains prevented the breast piece from coming loose. And you go, Well, that's all fine. But the purpose was what did it do? It kept Israel close to the mediator's heart. It secured it so it would never fall away. You know, we we've seen that the high priest represented the people before God and he carried a very real burden. As I spoke the last time with the ephod There were stones on his shoulders Remember that were inscribed With the names of Israel So he was carrying the burden Of the people on his shoulders And especially when he made atonement for sin And now we learn That the names of the tribes Are also written on the breast piece So he was carrying them close to his heart As well and god you know god said this to, to the understanding. whenever the high priest whenever he enters the sanctuary Aaron is to carry the names of Israel's sons over his heart on the breastpiece for decisions as a continual reminder before the lord so this breastpiece now we learn is was a continual reminder a, a memorial to god it put the tribes of Israel front and center, reminding God of His people. Now, not that He ever forgets, but it was really more for the high priest to have, for them to have that understanding that the people were ever before God. God always knows His people and knows their needs. In fact, I mean, this whole epic adventure as we're walking through Exodus. It started this whole adventure started with God remembering his covenant with Israel and now we're understanding that, that this breast piece is, is a continual a continual reminder and so as the high priest went about his intercessory work his even his clothing were a reminder that he served on behalf of God's people now this is something God already knew but you know this is the way that prayer kind of works isn't it when we pray we're really asking God or telling God our needs which he already knows Uh, and often what we're asking for is what he's already promised we're just asking in faith and so the breast piece was a reminder for the high priest who wore it close to his heart and he If you notice the phrase over his heart, that's repeated three times in verses 29 and 30. and It just draws attention to Israel's place near the high priest's heart. It was his responsibility not only to bear the burdens on his shoulders, but to also have the people's interests at heart. And, you know, the heart... The center of the person. The center of love and affection. And it was there. That the people of God were literally tied. To their priest. They were bound to him with cords of love. And affection. <clears throat> Just the, the way that the stones. On the breastpiece were tied to the ephod. Close to the heart. You know carrying people close to the heart. Is the responsibility of any spiritual leader. Uh, I, as I was preparing for this. I read this story. There was a story told about a rabbi. Who was asked how he could remember all the burdens of his people. Uh, when he prayed for them. And he he answered it like this. He says well I don't really need to keep track of all their prayers. I don't try to enumerate them. When somebody comes to me and asks me about his troubles, I feel so deeply for that person and his ordeals that it gives me a wound in my heart. When later I stand before God in prayer, I don't have to mention them out loud. I just open my heart and cry out to God and say, See, and when he looks into my heart, he reads every little detail about the people who have shared their sorrows and burdens with me. Well, I mean, that, that sounds kind of... Nice and pious, but honestly, it's not really reassuring, is it? I mean, that rabbi's not thinking of anybody individually. He, To me, he's thinking of a way to just have a very broad, sweeping prayer. It almost sounds like he's come up with a way that he doesn't need to pray for the individual needs of the people. At least not explicitly. But I would argue that. The spiritual leader has a responsibility to pray for God's people, not simply let God read their needs and the wounds of their heart. And I would argue, I would say that, you know, there is someone who really does take our needs to heart. And that is Christ. That's what we stand on. Jesus today is our high priest, the only priest that we need before God. He's the one who bears... Our burdens on his shoulders. He's the one who bears the burden, the weight of our guilt. He's the one who he bore and died for our sins on the cross. And now, and now he carries our concerns close to his heart. You know, one of of his high priestly duties, Jesus' duties, is to pray to God on our behalf. The scripture says that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. And he is uniquely qualified to do this because he holds us, he holds our needs close to his heart. Scripture assures us, says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with their weaknesses. But we have a high priest. Who has us on his heart. And in his mind. Our names. Our names are engraved. So to speak. Our names are engraved. On the gemstones that cover his breastpiece, As our high priest. And he has bound us to himself. With cords of everlasting love. And it should make us feel secure forever in a place that is close to his heart imagine that imagine that, that god holds us that close to his heart what what level of security and comfort and peace that should really give us you know those of us those who belong to god through faith are regarded as his treasured possession we are close to God's heart. And Jesus knows our needs and concerns. If we need forgiveness. He will pardon our sin. If we have a question. He will answer that. Maybe not in the way we want. But he will answer. If we have a problem. He will come up with a solution. If we need fellowship. He will be our friend. If we need healing. He will be he will bind up the wounds of our souls as well as our bodies imagine that imagine that but but what if we need what if we need guidance will god provide this as well and if he will how how will he do it you know it's it's wonderful to know that god loves us from the heart but you're still going to ask, well, what plan does he have for my life? I don't know about the rest. I still ask that. Uh, now the Israelites received divine guidance through this breastpiece of the high priest. When God gave Moses the instructions for making it, if you'll notice he called it a breastpiece for making decisions. Later on, it was called the breastpiece for decisions or the breastpiece of decisions. And he also said, place place the uh, Urim and the Tumum in the breastpiece for decisions so that they will also be over Aaron's heart whenever he comes before the Lord. And Aaron will continually carry the means of decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So this breast piece, when it was made, was folded double to make a pocket or a pouch on the inside of it. And inside of it were these special objects known as the Urim and the Tumum. And apparently the Israelites knew very well, were very familiar with how these were used. Now, we don't know specifics. Scripture doesn't uh, really describe them or... Uh, give us too many specifics on them. Uh, it's probably best that we don't know for we'd probably try to repeat it <laughs> today knowing how we are. but the the uh, the Hebrew words for Urim and uh, Tom they mean light and perfection and they seem to have been kind of tossed or thrown maybe like die. Uh, to determine God's, God's will. Uh, they could have been stones. They could have been precious gems. Like the ones on the breast piece. But honestly. Scripture doesn't tell us. It's, it's more of speculation. But scholars. Some think that there may be letters. That spelled out uh, answers. And some people speculate. That there could have been. Uh, multiple stones. And when the priest reached in and just grabbed a handful of them and tossed them out, whatever the majority color was, was the uh, was the was the decision. Uh, but the point is, is that in situations of public uncertainty, it was the right of the leader of Israel to put the question to the high priest, who would pull out the stone or stones and the answer would be yes or no and what is certain is that israelites used this to get direct decisions from god you know it was they understood that god was using this to to declare his will you know th- this was an area where God had reserved to himself to render the decision. Scripture says, this is out of Proverbs, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. And so the Israelites turned to God to reveal his will through the breastpiece of the high priest. And that was its primary purpose. The breastpiece was for making decisions under the sovereign guidance, under the sovereign direction of the Lord, and there are several several episodes from the Old Testament that show how this breastpiece of decision was used. When Joshua was uh, was appointed to succeed Moses, uh, he was given the right to consult the Urim and Thummim. God God said he will stand before. Eleazar the priest who will consult the Lord for him with the decision of the Urim and all of the Israelites with him, even the entire community will go out and come back at his command. So Joshua told the Israelites when to stay and when to go by consulting the decision of the Lord. Well, there's another man that consulted the breast piece of decision, and that was Saul. When the Philistines mobilized their forces, Saul was afraid and wanted to know the outcome of the battle. And so he consulted the high priest. But he didn't get the answer he was looking for. He didn't get a yes or a no. The Lord simply did not answer Saul at this point. But by contrast, when David asked if he should go and attack the Philistines, God actually said, go, launch an attack against the Philistines. And David asked again later on when he should, uh, if he should attack the Amalekites and got, go attack. So he got an answer there as well. It was used during the days of Nehemiah when Nehemiah was rebuilding the temple. And as, re, as the uh, Israelites uh, tried to rebuild the city, there was a question as to if certain men were eligible to serve as priests. And since the family records had been lost, There was no way to determine if they were uh, legitimate descendants of Levi. And this is exactly the kind of decision that the breast piece was was intended for. Uh, The problem was, it actually wasn't back in service yet. And so, Nehemiah ordered the men who were in doubt to not participate, to not eat of the most holy food until there was a priest that could consult the breast piece could consult the Urim and the Tumum and so I'm sure that the Israelites probably used this breast piece of decision on other occasions when they consulted the Lord as well even though it's not specifically named but I mean we the that says the high priest cast lots between two goats on the day of atonement uh And after Joshua died, the Israelites asked God which tribe should lead them into battle against the Canaanites. Uh, King Saul drew lots to determine who had violated his order not to eat or drink on the day of battle. Uh, And so many of these passages do not refer specifically to the Urim and Tummim, but they were probably used on some or maybe even all of these occasions. But what do we learn from these examples when we can glean a lot of things? And one of these is that, uh, in one sense, the permission to inquire of the Lord uh, through the um umum and -um, tumum was granted to only one person standing at the head of the people. Uh, And it was really more for matters of the entire uh, Nation of Israel Not individual matters uh, The inquiry related to matters That human beings could not possibly Know The question basically had to be formulated So that you either got a yes or a no uh, And the reply was given By the casting uh, uh, of, of, uh, of lots As they, as they said uh, and that God controlled the decision, and uh, I think it's to, to realize that, you know, the the Urim and Thummim were not used by ordinary people in making ordinary decisions. People did not go to the high priest every time they wanted to resolve minor or major decisions. They didn't go to ask who should I marry. Or what job should I get? I mean, like us, when it came to just practical daily decisions of living out our lives as well as even their personal choices that affected the future, the Israelites had to rely on on one sense, I would say sanctified common sense. But, you know, all of this raises questions about knowing God's will doesn't it I mean if God had wanted to if God had wanted to I mean he could have given every person in Israel their own personal set of uh, iram and tummum and that way the people would know exactly what to do when we could walk around with uh, uh, those stones or whatever is in our pocket and every time we want to make a decision we just reach out and and Call and get an answer he could give us holy die to carry around in in a pouch or something we just you know should i go to nc state should i marry this person or that should i take the job in california uh lord just answer me and i'll do it is this the kind of guidance that that you want though I think a lot of people might really say yes because what do we have you've got psychics you've got dream analysts you've got fortune tellers palm readers look at the business where people that, that tea leaf tea leaf readers look at the people look at the business of people who claim to know their future and the number of people that desire to know their future People want to know what's going to happen. But you know, I think God, again, in His infinite wisdom, has not given us a direct means of divine guidance for specific decisions. And I think this is partly because God has already told us the most important thing. The most important thing for us to know is that salvation is through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, you look back and and yes, from time to time, God gave direct guidance to Israel because he was still working out his plan of salvation. He needed to preserve his people so the Messiah would come. But now that salvation is here, on one sense, God has said what needs to be said. Long ago, the scripture says this out of Hebrews, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. So when God's people were in their infancy, they needed things like the Urim and tumum to guide them. But now that salvation is here, God has said it all in Jesus. And I would argue that today the most important decision that any person can make, the most important decision that we can help other people make is to trust in Christ for their salvation. Now there are other things that we need to decide, yes. And I would say that God gives us guidance for those as well. And He does this mainly through Scripture. I mean His Word is that he's given us for all of life applies to every aspect. Uh, I would say the Bible does not contain private information for about each person's destiny, but it does reveal to us how to live. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his body in sanctification and honor. Not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. Or it says rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. I mean I would say the Bible with all its promises. With all its commands. It's sufficient to guide our conduct. It tells us what to do. And what not to do. So that this means knowing God's will. Starts. With reading. Studying and obeying. God's word. We need that. More than anything else. Really. We need that. Even more than. Than than knowing. Well. We need that so that we can develop. A deep and personal knowledge of God And when we have that deep personal knowledge of God We do understand what he wants For our lives You know When when we have this When we know what the Bible says When we have this intimate knowledge Of, of God Then the, the specific decisions that we make Will be in line With God's will The uh, West Mr. Shorter Catechism says this. It says, What rule has God given to us to direct us, and how may we glorify and enjoy Him? And the answer is, The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures, the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us in the way that we may glorify and enjoy Him. So, knowing God's will through His Word, Helps us know the godly thing to do in every situation of life. But to help us understand his word. And this is the marvelous thing right here. To help us understand his word. God has given us his spirit. And that spirit's inward leading helps guide us in the right path. You know God hasn't given us a pair of. Decision-making dice to carry in our pocket. We could lay it down and forget it. We could lose it. But you know, He's given us something better. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We can't walk away from that. We can't lose that. The Holy Spirit, His very own Spirit, dwells within us. You know, it says He... He made his dwelling place in the tabernacle, and now we know that his spirit dwells in us. And his spirit works to help us know his will. You know, Jesus promised his disciples the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And again, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit gives us direct revelation. His leading is more subtle. But he is living within us, shaping our hearts and our minds, helping us to make good choices and giving us an inward peace when we arrive at the right decision. You know, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says that knowing God's will comes through a combination of studying God's word where we learn the great principles of his will. Uh, It comes through studying God's word with a heart that is submitted to the Lord of the word. You study God's word with a heart submitted to the Lord of the word and with the help of the spirit who illuminates the word and leads us to a true application of the principles to our own situation. So whenever we are uncertain what to do, we pray, or we should pray, that the Spirit will use the Word to show us the way. And God will answer our prayers. For the Bible says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. And finally, I would say that God directs us as well through the working of His providence. When we face difficult decisions, yes, we should pray for God to even use our circumstances to clarify his calling. You know, what gifts has God given us? What what desires? You can ask, what desires has he placed on our hearts? What What opportunities has He set before us? We do. We need to ask God to to give us discernment as to how to use our gifts. We also need to ask God to give us contentment to want what He wants for us. I don't know about you, but have you ever actually got a feeling that God wanted you to do something? But... You really didn't want to do that. You were not content with his answer. I would have to say I've been in that place before. He wants us to be content with what he wants for us. And he wants us to have the compassion to give our lives for the sake of others. You know, we can we can pray too for God to close doors that need to be closed. We can pray for God to open the doors that he wants us to walk through. And I think we should use the freedom that he's given us to make the best choice that we can. Again, to quote from uh, Dr. Ferguson, his, his leading is not usually a direct assurance or a revelation, but it is his sovereign controlling of the circumstances of our lives. With the Word of God as our rule. So if it is true, and if we do believe that God uses the circumstances of life to show us His will, and if we are uncertain as to what God has called us to do, then we're kind of called to wait upon the Lord. As far as God's as far as we know God's will, we do it. But when it's not yet clear, we should wait quietly for God to work, trusting that He will guide us in and through our circumstances in His own good time. Not in our time, but in His own good time. Scripture says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Uh, there's a uh, a letter that he wrote to a to a friend uh, it was uh, John Newton the hymn writer, the Puritan preacher he had a friend that asked the same questions that we're asking how is the Lord's guidance expected and here is uh, John Newton's wisdom his, his answer. Uh, This is what John Newton said to his friend. In general, God guides and directs his people uh, by affording them, in answer to prayer, the light of his Holy Spirit, which first enables them to understand and love the scriptures. The word of God itself is to furnish us with just principles, right apprehensions to regulate our judgments and affections, and therefore influence and direct our conduct they who study the scriptures in humble dependence upon divine teaching are gradually formed into a spirit of submission to the will of God and they discover that uh, the nature and duties of their situations and relations in life by treasuring up the doctrines they discover that uh, that this that they are uh, growing up into a habitual form of spiritual wisdom and that they are seldom mistaken in their decisions because they are influenced by the love of Christ. In particular cases, the Lord opens and shuts for them, breaks breaks down walls of difficulty which obstruct their path or hedges up their way with thorns, When they are in danger of going wrong. They know that their concernments are in his hands. And they are willing to follow wherever he leads. But they should be afraid of going before him. Do not be impatient. Do not make haste. But wait daily upon him for prayer. And that was the wisdom from John Newton to his his friend. And so maybe, like me, you're probably facing difficult decisions. Uh, I know you might have been hoping that this chapter would answer all these questions. Uh, It hasn't, of course. But I would also say this is how God usually works, I think. He does not put the decision in our pockets or write it down in in the sky for us. He calls us to walk with Him by faith, trusting Him for tomorrow as well as trusting Him for today. As a believer in Christ, we have to trust that His guidance will never fail us we have to hold on to we have to grasp the fact the truth that we are a treasured possession and that he always carries us close to his heart and if you follow him you can be rest assured that he will not let you wander off by the teaching of his perfect word by the leading of his Holy Spirit By the guidance of his daily providence. He will direct you. And me. In the way that we should go. Let's pray. Lord. Father we are so thankful that you do guide us. Maybe not always in the way that we want. But you guide us. We don't need a Urim and Tumim carried around in a a pouch because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have Your Word to guide us, Father. And Lord, we trust that You are looking out for us. You are directing our paths even when we don't know Your will. Father, what a promise we have to hold on to. Thank you that you carry us near to your heart. Father, just continually grant us peace. Do guide us in your word and by providence. And give us the confidence, the faith to step out, to obey, to move forward. to follow You. We thank You for Your Word, Father, and what it teaches us today. Amen.